Welcome to Deep Spirituality. We've got a good one for you today, we think. It's called God is No Imaginary Friend. The reason for that is because all of us, at some point, question whether God exists. Whether you consider yourself a Christian, you consider yourself an agnostic, an atheist, you consider yourself a, a Buddhist, a Taoist, a whatever it may be, everybody has a different view uh, on that. If you consider yourself to be uh, a believer in Hinduism, there are different religions that have... Uh, like, uh, for instance, Hinduism has millions of gods. Uh, Taoism doesn't generally think in terms of a personal god. Uh, There are several religions that have multiple gods. There's myths. Joseph Campbell talks a lot about that, that provide meaning to our lives. Uh, Think the Odyssey by Homer. Uh, All these things go into the question of, is there a god? Now, the interesting thing about the idea of God is no imaginary God. As I was listening to a podcast uh, about business and marketing and all that, uh, it's a guy I like to listen to. And I've heard it before, but he said, yeah, you know, God is an imaginary friend. He wasn't actually being negative. He was like, the thumb adults need God as an imaginary friend. And it came to me as I was thinking about it that, one, you know, I didn't agree with that. But two, that this is something that's important for all Christians, because sometimes and I think for everybody, but I want to speak specifically to Christians for a minute. Sometimes we treat God like he's an imaginary friend. We read the Bible and we pray, but there's not a real experience of God's presence. There's not a real sense that God is leading us. And so if God isn't having a transformative effect in our life, he, in a sense, becomes an imaginary friend. If God is not able to do powerful things in our life, then in a sense, he becomes an imaginary friend. And I think it's important that we look at that. In Psalm 73, it's a great passage of the Bible. A lot of us are familiar with it. And even if you're not a believer, here's the key. What we're talking about today with regard to the idea that God is no imaginary friend, the key is that God in the Bible is a personal God. He wants a relationship with people. Oftentimes, when people talk about God, atheists, agnostics, you know, um, theorists about religion, uh, people that are examining Uh, religion through the lens of cognitive science, when they do it, they look at religion. They don't look at God. And they oftentimes are critiquing religion. And because they don't believe, which that's not a problem for me, they can choose what they want. But because they don't believe, they don't see the Bible through the lens of relationship. They don't see the Bible as a book about God. It's not a book about religion. It's a book about getting to know God. I think we can oftentimes, as people who believe or people who study, I studied religion in college, we can oftentimes look at the Bible and want to take it apart as a manual for life. And there's no question it can be a manual for life. But that's not what God intended. God intended for us to know him. And so I think for a lot of us, on a daily basis, we can get tricked into thinking out we have a relationship with God that's really dynamic, when what we really have fallen into is what we're criticized for as believers, and that is being someone who has an imaginary friend that makes us feel better. In Psalm 73 and verse 1, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So the psalmist says, you know, God is good to Israel, and in a sense he connects the idea to those who are pure in heart, not to those who are without any flaws, mistakes, or sins, but people who keep their relationship with God right, that are, that are always moving out of their life the things that can cause God to be diminished. But the psalmist, after he says that, says this, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So what he's talking about is he's having a problem with God. He's got a God problem. 
And a lot of times we think we have people problems, we think we have money problems, we think we have job problems, but we don't always realize we have a God problem. The really great thing about this psalmist is he realizes he's got a God problem. And he's going, wait a minute, my feet almost slipped. I've got a God problem. Here's what he says in verse 3. He sums it all up in this verse. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, whenever I see somebody whose life is going better than mine and seems easier than mine, I'm always envious because they seem like their life has no troubles and no problems. And that's what the psalmist goes through. And it's not about a car or a house. I just want the comfort or the ease. And, and, and sometimes living as a Christian, trying to be unselfish, care about other people, just doing that can make your life uncomfortable and not be at ease. So one of the questions I want to examine is this idea of struggling in your relationship with God. I think it's a good time to talk about it and that God can become, in the middle of those struggles, distant. He can become unreal. We can read our Bible and not even really believe, and we're afraid to say it. I don't really believe that God is there. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to give up on my Bible. I believe the Bible is God's word, but I, they're in our head and our heart. There's doubts about, is God really there? Is God really good? Will God come through? How could God let a, a year-plus pandemic be so destructive to my life and to the church if God is so great? And a lot of times we just keep on trucking, but we don't deal with that. I want to mention uh, one other important item, and that is yesterday uh, there was an article out in the Washington Post, which happens to be one of my favorite newspapers. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, nowadays everybody's political, so they think that means that's my political persuasion. No, it's because I lived in Washington, D.C. for years. That's the only paper I read. Then I lived in Boston before that. That's why I like the Boston Globe. It's, that's all there is to it. it is, they're both good papers. But the Washington Post had an article out by Sarah Pulliam. Is that? Yeah, Pulliam Bailey. And uh, she's a pretty good writer, by the way. And she, she writes this article called Church Membership in the U.S. Has Fallen Below the Majority for the First Time in Nearly a Century. Now, I want to connect these things. Number one, God is an imaginary friend, is a feeling people have. My point today is God is not. God is not an imaginary friend. I want to connect that with Psalm 73, that its struggle is real, that when we look around and we see people have an easier life than us, uh, you know, I know Mike and Amy, who are our guests today or on the podcast today, they have a, your daughter's how old again? She's three. Three. So when you have a three-year-old, your daughter's pretty awesome, but when you have a three-year-old, if she's not having a great day and you see another kid having a really wonderful day <laughs> or your kid wakes up in the middle of the night because she catches a cold and the other kid's not waking up in the middle of the night, I think it's a natural instinct to go, man, I, I wish I had that right there. And yes. so there's, there's, there's one, God is not an imaginary friend, but sometimes he feels like that. Two, Psalm 73, it's a struggle to have a relationship with God. It's a struggle to believe in God. And I think we need to stop acting like it's easy. It's, believing in God is only easy when we're just following religion. Then we're going to come down to a third conclusion, which is that one of the reasons that we end up with a situation where people look at church and say, I don't want to be a part of it is because they don't see the God. They see us just like them, but we have a crutch we lean on that doesn't really change our life. It just makes us more comfortable. It just makes us have a way to 
put suffering in perspective. The only way I think people will truly believe that people that go to church have a God that's real is when they can see the dynamic impact of God on their life and in their life to help them conquer suffering, conquer pain, break through and bust through marriage difficulties, kid difficulties, health difficulties. If something transformative doesn't happen, I just think people think, okay, you have your church, I have my sports. You have your church, I have my politics. So here's what Sarah Pulliam Bailey writes. The proportion of Americans who consider themselves members of a church, synagogue, or mosque has dropped below 50%, according to a poll from Gallup released Monday. It is the first time that has happened since Gallup first asked the question in 1937, when church membership was 73%. So they're saying that essentially people's desire to be part of a church has dropped 23% since they first took the poll in 1937 asking people about belonging to a church. And people may say, well, I'm not surprised by that. Well, you should be because it's the first time in history. It's 2021, and it's taken all those years for it to drop below 50%, and the decline seems like it's going to hold. And I think one of the reasons the decline holds is because it's not evident to people that watch us, those of us who believe that we have anything more than an imaginary friend. So I know you guys have some thoughts about a couple of things that we're going to weave together. And one of them is this empty bucket syndrome, which I've talked about before, which is really about the inability of any human being, the inability of any possession, material uh, possession to satisfy, the inability of moving to a different location, going on a trip, making more money, to complete solve the emptiness that we feel in our lives. And the connection here, folks, is this. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is saying, I'm struggling with God because I'm looking at the people around me. Their lives are going better than mine. And because I'm seeing them, I'm feeling empty. And what he has to wrestle with is, in the moments when we're going through loss, suffering, pain, and difficulty, those are often the moments when we find out whether God's an imaginary friend or whether God is real. And so I don't know what you guys are thinking about regarding the empty bucket stuff. You can dive in wherever you want. I just want to set us up and set our folks who are listening up and, and, and stay with us if you're someone who doesn't believe in God or someone who has mixed doubts in God. That's okay. Uh, you know, we just want to give you another set of things to think about. But go ahead, Mike and Amy. What do you think? Well, you know, it's funny. This is a very interesting and, and appropriate topic. We uh, So you mentioned our, our three-year-old daughter. And uh, God is an imaginary friend is a great title. So we've been... So one of the things we are often talking about how to do is how to talk about God with our daughter, right? Three-year-old. And, uh, right. and so we, so we, we got, we were talking about this last night. We've gotten this habit of, um, praying at night, right? Not like as far as habits go, it's not a bad one, but, but we want to like, okay, that's a good thing. Let's pray together. And hopefully she'll see that as a, as a good thing. But, <laughs> you know, she gets, sometimes gets a little wired. I may or may not have something to do with that at nighttime. Um, and you know, roughhousing a little bit, but we're like laying down, okay, bedtime, you know, let's say, let's pray. What do we want to talk to God about? And you know, she's want to, she's like, I want to wrestle daddy, you know, and wants to like fight. And I'm like, (laughs) and I find myself going, sit down, it's time to pray. It's not, it's not fun time. (laughs) You know, I'm not saying those words, but that's the attitude I'm communicating. And I really, it just kind of made me think like, what am I, 
how am I teaching God to this, this new person, you know, this new, yeah, it sort of exposes when, um, we have to have something more than a, a ritual. Like we have to be able to teach her something more of what, what do I have in there? And do I have just the, you know, the ritual behavior thing or do I right. have, this is God is my friend that I talk to when I'm anxious or when I'm stressed, you know? And I, and I, yeah. And I think I realized like teaching like my daughter that God is a real person in a relationship. You, that's, you can't really fake that. I think that's what I'm learning through this, right? Because we'll tell her like, hey, going to go talk to God now. It makes me happy. It makes mommy and daddy happy when we talk to God. But what she, I think, is interpreting is like, okay, in the morning, dad's going to leave for a while to go outside and pray and talk to God. Like she, <laughs> it, she's translating, right. okay, that means you're going to go away for a while. And I just have like these words, you know? Um, so it's, it's very... Uh, challenging to see that, that that what i'm passing on is a heart that's been years of of kind of associating closeness with god with sort of how much time am i clocking in uh you know what am i am i saying the right things you know the, what's my attitude like get happy you know like this is a lot of kind of warped stuff so i i, I didn't know you were going to come today with god as an imaginary friend but now when i think about kids that's what kids do right like that they, they make friends and stuff and i'm going okay that's there's there's something to that in the way that i'm uh, approaching god that is that is translating that uh right i i think the topic of god uh is not an imaginary friend is super relevant to me especially this year with the pandemic it sort of takes away all these things you usually rely on you know like um for me i tend to be a pretty anxious person i run high anxiety and so i find a lot of relief like let me go hang out with people. Like when I'm feeling stressed, let me go get a coffee with someone. And then now I don't, so many times this year I haven't had that, right? So I'm like, okay, where do I find relief? And then I get mad, like, ah, stupid pandemic. I can't do the things I want to do, you know? (laughs) Um, Or if we could just get a date night in, you know? And that's where I'm looking to find relief. And then I get into the envy of, you know, my friends who have, you know, babysitting, babysitters in their bubble, you know, and I don't have that. So I get into that, like other people's lives are easier, which is not true. You know, we have a great life, but you can feel that way. There's always something you could find, you know, but, uh, but I think, uh, it's been a really hard year for me in that I became Christian a long time ago as a teenager. Right. So I kind of been around church a long time. And, um, and so, you know, then to be able to go, okay, all the things I kind of rely on the, the church services, the thing, you know, the, the hanging out with people are not really there. So what do I have with God? And I've had a hard, really hard time managing my stress, managing the changes, believing if I pray about something, is it going to happen? I've had so many times going out on, going, okay, I'm going to go pray. And is God there? Am I talking to myself? And then I'm like, I, I work for a site called Deep Spirituality. And I'm like, right. I don't know if God's there. <laughs> Great. Okay. I can't talk about that, you know, or it's hard, you know, it's hard to want to admit that stuff. And um, so I, I feel like in a good way, it's probably a really good way because this stuff was all in there before, but sometimes, you know, things in life expose, right. like, do I have this, you know, with God where I can go out and take a walk and find peace and be calm and, and no matter what's going on around me where I can, you know, where I can trust. Um, I feel really challenged in that. I feel at the same time, it's exciting to want to learn that because I feel like that's something that could stay with you no matter what goes on in the world around you. But, um, certainly challenging. So Mike, you said, uh, I surprised you with the topic. What were you ready to talk about? Well, we were talking a little bit before you gave that talk about, um, you know, the empty bucket syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I was meditating on that. I mean, I'm making the connections and stuff. Uh, what surprised me was just how related that was to what I had been thinking about with my daughter. And right. it, it kind of put sort of a, a better phrase to, I think, what I'm learning about how I view God, you know? But, Tell but I was, us about your thoughts about the empty bucket stuff. Yeah, so I had um, been trying to, like, wrap my mind around that that metaphor, right? And I think I was talking about it before with the with the the team and stuff. And, and I, I, what I relate to is this idea of like 
there's all these, you know, you talked about the the holes that we can poke in that bucket, right? Where mm-hmm. if the bucket is God filling us up and feeling secure, satisfied, I just don't feel like I need anything, you know, that love is going to be taken away the more I'm sort of poking holes with, you know, envy and, uh, you know, the, the the sort of secret insecurities and things inside. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized I, I could just walk around just carrying a lot in my mind and in my heart that I just don't talk about. I'm just not really unloading. So, and it's something I see like in, in marriage a lot, right? Like we talk, Amy feels very alone because she's coming to the table with like, man, I'm feeling really anxious about this. You know, this has been a hard week or what's going on with Emily. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, she, she tells me I, I get like the blank stare nod, you know, and there's not like a lot that I'm giving back. And I realize like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to find uh, a way to feel just uh, secure and calm and okay through these things that aren't working. It's just leaving me more empty. Like, you know, whether it's like identity, like I'm like a security, like in, you know, can I be a good at my job? Can I, can I be good at, I don't know, being a husband or a dad? Like, and I feel inadequate, like in all those areas. So I keep, <laughs> I keep going to these things that are, uh, I just inevitably uh, set myself up for failure because it's never going to be. So, what so I need to be. You, you said you said, uh, and I, I should explain to the audience that the uh, and we're, we'll bring all this together, folks. If you if you're seeing us going about three different directions, that's on purpose. This is like the uh, uh, University of Michigan uh, offense uh, in <laughs> basketball, March Madness, go blue. Uh, but <laughs> the empty bucket syndrome was something I ran into as an adoptive parent. I read several books about a lot of different things about adoption, but also about foster adoption and about how kids grow up in the foster program, what they are, what the, what the losses they experience are. Uh, I also read about, uh, I read a lot about eating disorders because a number of the kids have eating disorders. And so I think I put away about 12 books at one point on these subjects. And the, the, I learned a lot. There was a lot I didn't know. And one of the things I learned was that Oftentimes, kids who are adopted that are, that are older uh, can experience empty bucket syndrome. But then I learned that this is something anyone can experience and that adults go through. And the idea is they continually are trying to, you know, or people are continually trying to love them and to care about them. But because of things that have happened, dysfunctional experiences, obviously, if you lose your parent for one reason or another, it leaves you with an incredible amount of loss. And so there's a continual effort to fill up the bucket from the loss. Right. And what I try to do in a talk was describe ways that we can have our bucket leak out. Now, I don't actually think that the bucket has to be filled by God. Um, I think the bucket can be filled by an individual who says, uh, I have these seven goals and I'm driving for these goals. I want to graduate high school, go to this college, get married to this kind of a person, get this kind of job, make this amount of money, live in this kind of community, have these kind of kids. And as they go through life and they achieve those goals, their bucket does fill up. I've got some friends. I made the team. I'm on the honor roll. I got into a top 100, top 50, top 10 school. Um, I was able to get published in my area of academic expertise. I'm now being recruited. I've met this particular person. Wow, I can live in this city. And the bucket gets filled up with all of these accomplishments and, and, and good things that happen. But invariably, as in every life, grief and loss come in. It may be estrangement from parents. It may be estrangement from a friend. It may be a health challenge that you 
or someone you care about experiences. It may be a loss of a job that, that, that you thought was going to solve the problems. And before you know it, whatever we've filled up with, it starts leaking out. And I lean more toward God doesn't fill up the bucket, actually. I lean toward we fill the bucket up with a bunch of things that are not God, and that's why it leaks out. I think when God fills us up, I mean, there's those old uh, Christian hymns, you know, about filling your cup to overflowing. I think when God fills us up, it actually uh, stays stays there. There's a great uh, passage uh, in Psalm 90 that, that'll sort of, you know, uh, provide a context to it. And it's, 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 a, it, it's always encouraged me a lot. But in Psalm 90, in, uh, in verse 14, the psalmist writes, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. You know, Jesus says, uh, uh, he talks about, come to me and you'll receive living water. It'll fill you up. And so the reality is that when we feel empty or dis, uh, you know, disappointed, disillusioned, because those, those events are going to happen. What causes a bucket to leak is that the bucket was never filled up by God in the first place. And so then we start to feel lonely. Then we start to feel confused. Then we get bitter. Then we get angry because we need to be filled up. And so what we often do is we go, well, let me go buy a new coat, a new car, a new house. Let me go on a trip. Those are the, and then we fill up with those things, and guess what? Suddenly we're happy all over again, right? right? But then grief, loss, difficulty happens, and the bucket starts leaking. And I think a lot of times in, in our relationship with God, and let's go all the way back to Psalm 73, that guy was struggling because his bucket was leaking. He was starting to look and see that that dude over there didn't work as hard as me, didn't go to as good a school as me. And he's got more than me. Hmm. And now my bucket's starting to leak. Right. Because what I have doesn't feel as good today as it did yesterday since I saw Joel over there. And so when it comes to relationship with God, there's a couple things. One, when we fill our lives up with material stuff, and even when we achieve our goals, we get attention, we become famous, we get promoted you know, you're 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 a, a good performer, Mike. You like to sing, have that great song. Everybody's cheering and applauding. You get filled up. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, this is awesome. But then if you go home and you're like you describe, you're staring out the window and Amy's <laughs> trying to talk to you and you're not listening. Right. Suddenly your bucket starts leaking. Mm-hmm. And now we have to ask the question, is your being a Christian about God? Or is it about those things in your bucket? Mm-hmm. And so when that bucket starts leaking and we can't fill up because we can't get more stuff, that's a good sign that God is an imaginary friend. Right. That's a good sign that we may say we believe in him, but practically speaking, he's just the teddy bear we carry around with us as we collect accomplishments that fill up our bucket. And that's why I think we all get so disappointed and down 
when we have failure in our life, right. when we have distance in relationships, because there's nothing to fill us up anymore. And I, I, I'm always challenged by Psalm 14. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfilling love. Are we waking up in the morning and being filled up mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and literally physically? Because God is filling up the bucket and whatever stuff we get, that just takes the bucket to overflowing. Right. But God is the one filling it up so that whether it's a good or a bad day, we're in good shape. So that's kind of where I was at on the empty bucket syndrome and what I learned from my experience and my life. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think so for me, big time. I mean, I think with the concept of, of God, God fills the bucket. There's other things I put in it. 100% true. I mean, I think you mentioned like the, you know, music. I mean, I have, I have hobbies for days and I think, it, you know, I'm, I, one of the things I get teased about a lot is like anytime I'm stressed, it's like all of a sudden I'm finding a new app, you know, or like there's a new, uh, song I can produce, you know, there's always like something that I, I tend right. to go to and it, it kind of leaves me in the same spot and I just don't like learn the lesson. But <laughs> I think, I think what's, what's the real challenging part about this whole conversation and these, these uh, kind of articles and stuff is thinking about that, like the impact that has on people and the perception of, of God that we put out in the world, like when we're living like that. Uh, I mean, one of the things that struck me in that uh, Washington Post article was, you know, there was a section in there that said uh, the, that, you know, it's, t- it's talking about how all the, um, you know, the, the percentage of people who are members of church is dipping below 50%, as you mentioned, right? But then it said in there, right. like, hey, you know, there's, Still, uh, people who many people—I'll just quote it—many people who don't identify with a particular religious institution still say they believe in God, pray, or do things that tend to be associated with faith. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I took away is like, okay, well, there's people still seeking God, but there's something so unattractive in the way that I'm like living the Christian experience is like just turns them off, right? And and I think that like there is a spiritual need. It made me think of like Matthew nine uh, thirty seven, you know, where it says. Uh, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go send out workers into his harvest field. And I realized, like, okay, like, there's people need someone to show them how to do this, like what it looks like to have that relationship with God. And I realized, like, I don't ask those questions. Like, hey, how do I have, like, a time where I read and pray and then I actually connect with God and and not just get super distracted by my thoughts about the things? I'm, that was today. You know, I'm just thinking about like five to do items. And it's really hard just to kind of clear my mind and have a conversation with God. You know, like I, I go out and walk because it's just been part of my routine for years and years yeah. now, <laughs> but uh, I'm walking right. away going like, did I actually talk to God or did I just kind of, you know, talk into my mask about the things? I want, you, I want you to explore that a little bit more in a minute, but let's get Amy in here. She looks like she's thinking about some stuff. I mean, this conversation's reminding me of a uh, of a scripture that I think someone shared with me a little while ago. It's Psalm sixty two seven. Um, in the voice translation, says, "My salvation and my significance depend ultimately on God. The core of my strength, mm. my shelter, is in the true God." Um, and there's you know these words in there that always have stood out to me. But one is significance because that's kind of when you're describing the things that fill the bucket for me. Significance is always a big thing. I want to be significant. I want to do things. I want to achieve things. I want to perform well. You know and um, but I can totally have that feeling of nothing's enough, right? You can you can get a good job or a you know whatever, and then you still feel immediately after that that emptiness, you know. So it's been a challenge, I guess, you know, for me lately to think: could I feel that that scratch that itch for significance completely just in my relationship with God, and not feel like I need to find it somewhere else, you know? Yeah, I'm going to give you a test 
I doubt you'll pass it. You're not old enough. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> All right. And you, 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 I'll give you a hint. It's a comedian, and he's before you were born, I'm, I think. Well, he was around when you were, you were alive, but he, he started before you were born. Gallagher. I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to give you some. Uh, it's not him. <laughs> I'm going to give you a, right. a few tests, and everybody else can join in. The reason I'm going to do it, it's a comedian I really like. He does not believe in God, uh, or I should say he did not. He's no longer alive, so there's another hint. But he did not believe in God. And he had some strong things to say that I find very compelling. Here's a quote that gets you started out about life. Most people work just hard enough not to get fired and get paid just enough money not to quit. <laughs> that's one of can I, that's one of his quotes. Can I guess? Are you All right, more here, you, I'm going to give you some okay, more. Right. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. All right. I get a couple more. Scratch. Scratch any cynic. And remember, a cynic is someone who questions everybody's motives and doesn't trust anybody and always is there to tell you why it's probably not going to happen because these people can't be trusted. Scratch any cynic and you'll find a disappointed idealist. That's another Ooh, thing he says. Wow. Oh, that's a good one. Now he gets into his religion. He says, religion is like a pair of shoes. Find one that fits for you, but don't make me wear your shoes. <laughs> All right, here's another one. I was thinking about how people seem to read the Bible a lot more as they get older. And then it dawned on me. They're cramming for their final exam. <laughs> That's good. All right. I got two more and then you can try. I'll give you multiple guesses. Are you out there listening? Maybe you can guess. You can try and guess. Here's another quote. Tell people there's an invisible man in the sky who created the universe, and the vast majority will believe you. Tell them the paint is wet, and they have to touch it to be sure. <laughs> then he says this, I was a loner as a child. I had an imaginary friend. I didn't bother with him. So, got any guesses? It's okay. hard. I'm I, gonna guess, I don't know. I'm going to guess, I'm gonna guess uh, George Carlin. Bam, you nailed oh, it. Yes. Oh, nice. I knew it. You nailed I it. I knew it. You win, you win an empty bucket. <laughs> all right? That's what you get. This is the, you get an empty bucket to, 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 to do all your empty bucket studies and thinking <laughs> on. He also says, he out, George Carlin, perfect, Mike. George Carlin also says this. I, I wonder if you guys out there driving, doing your laundry, whatever you're doing, listening, I wonder if you got it. He says this last thing, which I think is important. I think it's the duty of the comedian to find out where the line is drawn and cross it deliberately. You know, uh, he would be very difficult to handle today in today's society. <laughs> For sure. When I read him, when I read that he wrote, I was a loner as a child, I had an imaginary friend, I didn't bother with him, combined with the other things I saw in my own research about uh, people who believe God is an imaginary friend, I realize that that article we've been talking about really is coming down to, it's not an issue of whether or not 
uh, churches have a particular kind of singing, uh, whether or not the people who speak are great or not. It comes down to the fact that there isn't enough happening that makes people believe that God is more than an imaginary friend, or there isn't enough happening that they think their relationship with God will be enhanced by going to church, because as you alluded to, Mike, in the article, it talks about the fact that a lot of these people still believe in God, and a lot of them, what they've chosen to do is go private. Mm -hmm. And that tells you something, too, that oftentimes in churches, we want to look at, well, who's the minister, or who are the, who are the elders, or who are the, what's the leadership? Right. And we don't understand that many times people aren't going because of the people. And I've seen commentary where people write, I enjoyed the speaker, I didn't like the people. Mm. And I think oftentimes, because you know there are more people who are sitting in the pew than standing in the pulpit, it's easy for us to let ourselves off the hook as people who sit in the pew, so right. to speak, in the chair, and say, oh, it's all about the singers. It's all about the technology. It's all about the person speaking. No, it's all about whether or not the individual people going to church make God appear to be something more than an imaginary friend that gets people through difficult times. And these are conversations that a lot of times we don't want to have. We want to have conversations about somebody other than ourselves. Right. That's a human condition. We want to evaluate, hey, I listen to Mike on the podcast and he sounds like he needs this. I listen to Amy on the podcast. She sounds like she needs this. I listen to Russ on the podcast. He sounds like he needs the most. But we oftentimes project onto other people instead of looking at ourselves and saying, if I was the only Christian alive, if I was the only Christian alive, would people think God is real or would they think God's an imaginary friend? Mm -hmm. In James chapter 2, it's a wonderful passage of Scripture. In verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So the Bible in James could really be an answer to George Carlin. Not a critical answer, because I actually think George Carlin makes legitimate points. And that rather than being angry when people make fun of, doubt, or critique religion, we should take it as input mm. to say, how do I need to get my relationship with God better so people stop thinking, these people are just living a delusion. There's a book uh, by the guy who wrote The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins, and he calls it Outgrowing God. And his book is really a critique of the fact that we need to stop being so childish as to think that there is a God and recognize that there's no supporting evidence of God's existence. But what I notice when I look at his writing is that he's always addressing religion. I'm not sure he knows it. But he's not really addressing God because the first question, the only way you can undermine belief in God is if you can undermine that if you can undermine the idea that the spiritual realm is real. Hmm. And so if you can say there is no spiritual realm to life, there's only mental, emotional, and physical. There's absolutely no spiritual realm in life. And if there's no spiritual realm in life, then there is nothing to be gained by going out in nature. There's nothing to be gained by meditation. There's nothing to be gained by prayer. There's nothing to be gained by going to a, a monastery or, or, or learning a martial art in a Shaolin temple. There's nothing to be gained from it. It's all garbage because all of these, all of these talk about a spiritual realm. And it's one of the reasons I think people don't always like the Avengers or Justice League because superheroes connect to the, to the, to the myth, the myth that goes back to Zeus and Apollos and Mercury, and all of these, which 
while we may say they're not real, they represent people talking about, I sense a spirituality. Mm. And so I find it interesting that most people who critique God don't actually critique God. They critique the religious people who follow God. And I don't think that's a legitimate way to undermine God. I think you can undermine church easy. You can undermine religion easy. That's fine. I'm not even sure I care that a person undermines that. But can you undermine the existence of the spiritual? Can you undermine the fact that there are things that go beyond man's capacity to explain? For instance, a doctor last night on television said, these vaccines for COVID-19, they come as close to a miracle as anything I've seen. This is just unbelievable what's happened. And I, I think what we have to often do is ask ourselves, does my relationship with God put me into a spiritual realm? Hmm. Does my faith put me in a spiritual realm? And what James 2 says is if it puts you in a spiritual realm, you're going to live a pretty dynamic and powerful life. In verse 15, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? He's saying, he's saying what George Carlin's really saying is he's saying, just because you got all these beliefs, it doesn't mean anything if your life hasn't been changed and if your life can't change the lives of others. Then in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself if not accompanied by action, is dead. Your faith is dead if you don't have action. So what does that tell us? That if someone's looking at you and you say you've got faith, but you're not doing anything, then essentially you have an imaginary friend. You've got an imaginary friend you hang out with, and then you go to the church where all your other friends who believe in the imaginary friend hang out. The only way we can prove God's existence is the way we live and how much it changes our lives every day. He goes on in verse 18 and says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He's saying when a person truly walks with God, when a person is truly spiritual, it's going to show in the way they live. And I think he's talking about a dynamic life. And he goes, you believe that there is one God good, verse 19. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He's saying just saying that you believe God exists is not enough. It's not enough. He's got to be able to change you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. In verse 20, look what he says, you foolish person. He calls them foolish. Well, if I were to play around with that, and I know the Bible scholars out there go, you can't do what you're about to do, but I'm <laughs> going to do it anyway. Because George Carlin said you're not worth anything as a comedian if you don't deliberately cross the line. He says you foolish person because a foolish person is someone who lives as though God is imaginary, whose life never changes, whose capacity to love never gets better, never increases, whose capacity for calm and confidence never increases, whose ability to build quality relationships instead of destructive ones never comes about. I think you're, it says you're a foolish person. Why? You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He's saying, do you really think that there's such a thing as faith without deeds? Hmm. There isn't. You don't have faith. That's not what you have. You have an imaginary friend, and God is not an imaginary friend. In verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, some people are going to go off. I can't believe God was going to make him kill his kid. Well, you're missing the point of the story. What you're not supposed to be able to believe is that Abraham trusted God enough that if he did kill his kid, God would raise him from the dead. 
because he said, God can do anything. And if God wants me to do this, there must be a purpose. And sometimes God asks us to do things that are illogical, feel improper, feel crazy. No, I'm not suggesting that it's good to go around threatening our kids. That's not my point. I'm saying we're not even in the realm of thinking like an Abraham. Abraham saw Abraham Joshua Heschel in the book, The Prophet, says this. The job of the prophet is to make God audible, to allow people to see, sense and understand the inner life of God. And what Abraham does there is to is to demonstrate to us that he understood and experienced the inner life of God, that he was deeply connected to him. And as a result, in verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. When we read our Bibles and pray and we don't do anything, the result, God becomes an imaginary friend. And we can walk around and be proud and self-righteous toward people, but if our life doesn't get better, doesn't change, doesn't improve, doesn't have a dynamic impact on the communities we live in, then something's missing from our relationship with God. Now, there are a lot of people who are religious who go, no, that's, 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 that's living life as if your deeds save you. No, it's not that the deeds save you. It's that your awareness of God and your experience of God makes you capable of living a dynamic life. You're not doing it to be saved. You're doing it because you believe, because God is real. And notice what it says in verse 23 as we close things out. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. What happened to Abraham? God said, this isn't isn't a question of sin for you. It's a question of belief. I think a lot of us follow the rules, and maybe we don't commit many sins. But we don't follow God because we don't have much faith. Is God an imaginary friend? We got to work that out because God is not an imaginary friend. God is no imaginary friend. And as we look toward the future, as we work on our relationships with God, I hope we'll start having conversations that are significant about if I'm an empty bucket that always needs attention, always needs material things, always needs uh, praise, always needs uh, some human being to give me something or do something for me to ease my pain, then I'm living life as though God is an imaginary friend. But if I'm resilient, adaptable, if I'm able to sustain and endure, if I'm able to serve and create, if I'm able to overcome my bitterness, if I'm able to overcome my resentment, if I'm able to let go of the negative thoughts about it myself, well, that's spirituality. And that's what it means to have God as a friend, just like Abraham. George Carlin said, I think it's the duty of the comedian to find out where the line is drawn and cross it deliberately. I think it's the duty of deep spirituality to find out where the line is and cross it deliberately and push all of us to have a better relationship with God. Thanks for listening to Deep Spirituality. It was great to have Mike and Amy here today. We hope you'll keep listening to us. Thank you for using your time to give us a little bit of encouragement. If you can give us five stars or 90 stars <laughs> on our podcast, that would really oh, help us. If you like it, do that. If you don't like it, give us the stars anyway, because we brought up Richard Dawkins. I'm not afraid to talk about people who disagree. I think they can be a launching pad to building our faith greater. Thanks a lot.